Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Merry Christmas. This is Amanda's and my 10th Christmas together. And since I have the pulpit, I want to take this time to air one of my greatest grievances in all of our marriage, one of the most tragic facts of our marriage, basically the worst possible thing you could ever possibly imagine. And that one great tragic, awful, miserable thing is this. For as long as we've been married, we have never, ever, sort of, but not really, had proper Christmas stockings in our home. Do you feel my pain? It's true. It's true. One time, I think it would have been on a Christmas Eve, I really can't remember, I, I went to Walmart, like, in the night, and got us some really dumb blue and, or not blue, green and red, right? Green and red stockings. But I don't know what happened to them. I don't know where they're at. If you come to my house after the service, you will not find them hung anywhere around the house. There are no stockings in our house. And that is, of course, because stockings have to be perfect. Some of you don't realize this. I can tell that you don't realize this because I've been to your house and I've seen your stockings. (laughs) And you have very lame stockings. I want you to know that if we've been in your house this Christmas season and you have had stockings hung, your stockings have been silently judged. You have to know, you have to understand this, that kids grow up with their own personal stocking and they take those stockings into their homes with them when they get married or they come back to mom and dad's house years later and they still have the same stocking. It's their very own stocking and these stockings will reflect on you, mom and dad, to the third and fourth generation. So your stockings cannot be lame. Stockings have to be great. They have to have a great idea behind them. They basically have to be inspired. They can't be store-bought unless they're really unique and super cool, and it can't be like, you know, chain store-bought. It has to be like some other kind of store-bought. But to make them homemade brings its own risks because, you know, lameness. Do you remember what your stockings were like growing up? I had two, one for my mom's house, the other for my dad's house. The one at my dad's house was made by my mom, and it's totally lame. It's just a red and white stocking with my name glitter glued at the top. Somehow the glitter glue or whatever, however that, it's just glittery, you know, it's my name, it's glitter, script, I don't know. It's still there. My mom got a second chance, though. That stocking has my name at the top in script, but this time embroidered on a stocking that has cardinals all over it. Much better. So anyway, as I was saying, we don't have stockings at my house, and our poor children have no stockings. I've decided I'm going to start a singing troupe and call it the Stockingless Mensels. It will be known for being a very bad singing troupe and also having no stockings. Now, I recently discovered that Amanda has finally figured out what kind of stockings we're going to have. Apparently, she decided this a couple years ago, I found out because I read an article she wrote for the Warhorn, which is apparently how my wife and I communicate with one another now. 
Anyhow, these stockings, as it turns out, are going to be sweaters. Not like in the shape of sweaters. They're going to be like sweaters that she cuts up and makes into stockings. Unique ones for each child. And she finally got around to starting on them this season. And I say start because she's not finished them yet. I have no idea when they'll be finished. It may be tonight. It may be next Christmas. It may take another 10 years. Who knows? You never really can tell. At the rate we're going, some future unborn child of ours will be the first in the family to have his own stocking. Now, if you were to ask Amanda why there were no stockings, she'd just laugh and say, uh, because stuff, because seven kids are hard to manage and wreaths are hard to make and presents are hard to wrap and a ready supply of truffles is a way more important thing than stockings and shopping is hard. And also, did I mention that we have seven kids? Yes, seven kids, eight and under, and also homemade marshmallows for hot chocolate. Hashtag priorities. And if I were to ask, you know, this is you asking Amanda, if I were to ask her, she would just say, that's because I read an article for you for the Warhorn about making stockings. (laughs) Jerk. Now, trust me when I tell you that stockings are not a priority for me or for my wife. They're not a point of tension for us. I wouldn't be talking about them if they were. I don't really care about stockings. I do care about truffles. I made a rule this year. I issued a decree from on high that there would never be want of truffles in my house between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Probably truffles are a point of tension in our marriage now because every time she has to make a new batch, she's thinking, I could be making stockings. Instead, I have to make truffles for you. Could stockings be a priority in our home? They could. Probably they are in some of your homes. Probably probably some of you Christmas legalists think they should be and are silently judging us the way we silently judge you for having lame stockings. We'll get around to it. And when we do, our kids will appreciate having to wait until they're grown and have wives and children of their own to have their first stocking because theirs will be perfect. Now, here's my point. We all labor under different pressures in the holidays, right? We all have different pressures on us. It's different for each of us. But more or less, we all feel pressure. Pressure to make things feel special. Pressure for things to go just right. We we want to have ourselves a merry little Christmas. One that's picture perfect. One where the holiday glow is so warm and so evident and so obvious that you don't even need a filter when you post the picture on Instagram. Which is to say, we all have places at Christmas time where our desires and our expectations and our hopes don't match reality. And that's often because of things that are outside of our control. So there's the desire for everything to be perfect, for ribbons and bows and non-burned cookies and snow on the ground and stockings hung all in a row by the fireplace. And that's impossible to get right in itself, right? It's just not going to happen. Cookies get burnt, kids fight over toys. That kind of thing happens year after year every Christmas. And then beneath all those desires and expectations, whatever they are, are the deeper realities of our lives. The realities of our families. The realities of our children. Of estranged family members. Places where sin has made it hard. Hard to talk to one another without anger or bitterness or resentment creeping up. Hard even to be in the same room with one another, much less have the ability to have a jolly time around the dinner table. 
or the reality of death, the empty place at the table or the one fewer stop this Christmas, or the reality of a broken home, having to have two Christmases instead of one, having to live between the tension of mom and dad. In other words, sin, sorrow, and death. This holiday season for us and my family has been surrounded by death as it has been for many of you. We lost another grandparent a few weeks ago. Some of you have lost mothers, grandfathers. We're leaving for uh, Evansville tomorrow after the service to have what is likely a last Christmas with another grandparent. That's the reality with all of our lives all the time. Our circumstances are never fully under our control. Nothing ever goes exactly how we want it to. They only seem to be under our control. It's just that it becomes more apparent at Christmas and maybe weddings than any other time of the year. It's harder to hide there because there's such volatile situations. Everyone's heart is on their sleeve at Christmas time. And, And situations like Christmas are volatile because precisely because on the one hand you have these absurd out of this world set of expectations and hopes and desires, all the ways we pin our happiness on everything coming together perfectly. And on the other side, you have how much realizing those dreams stands outside of our control. They depend on everything from the weather to crazy Uncle Joe and whether or not he's going to show up And if he does show up, what he's going to say or what he's not going to say, and everything in between. Family members that are estranged and burnt cookies, and this amazing ability of ours to get them all mingled up together into one huge, massive tragedy. If nothing else, it's going to be 60 degrees tomorrow. There's going to be no snow. We're already off on a bad foot, and there's nothing we can do about it, right? Lucas is happy. 60 degrees is still cold to Lucas, in fact. He'll be wearing his coat as he walks around in the living room with the thermostat set to 72 because that's still cold. You can bottle everything up. You can try to control it all. You can be one of those miserly Scrooges that insist that everyone will have a perfect Christmas because you said so and so there. Or you can let your emotions run wild and free and control you, and you can spend a whole afternoon crying over cookies. Or you can pour a little extra whiskey in the eggnog and try to medicate it away. Or in the midst of all the frustration and confusion, you can remember this. That at the end of the day, what troubles us is never really about our circumstances. And it's not even ultimately about death or people or cookies, or fudge, or your mom, or your dad, or your brother, or your sister, or stockings, or no stockings. The problem isn't ever out there. True, some of those things are sad, and difficult, and hard. But ultimately, the problem isn't your circumstances. The problem is with you. It's how you respond to your circumstances. It's whether or not you have and know the peace of God. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7, or follow on the screen behind me. This is what it says. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which, shall, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Now, let's stop and think about the context here. What do you think Mary envisioned for her life before the angel Gabriel showed up? She was engaged to a man named Joseph, a good man. What was the life that she imagined, that she expected, that she hoped for? Maybe she thought she was going to have her special day and all her friends and family would be there to see her prettied up and they'd congratulate her and Joseph and they'd go start a family and live a quiet and peaceful life together. Joseph at his carpentry, Mary with the babies, and then eventually grandbabies. How about Joseph? He was going to get married to this beautiful, sweet girl, and they were going to be happy. And they were going to have, what, a dozen kids, and he was going to do good, hard work, and his his respectability would rise and rise. He wouldn't be a single man anymore. He'd be a married man, and then soon, if the Lord willed, a married man with children. And then God came and interrupted their perfect plan. No, Mary, you're going to give birth to a son. And everyone will think that you're immoral. And no, Joseph, no one's going to respect you for how you handle the situation. Okay, fine, we'll have the baby at home. It'll be quiet, surrounded by family, and we'll start our lives together. No. No, because of a prophecy long foretold, Caesar's going to send out a decree. You're going to have to travel miles and miles, give birth in a strange city, and you're going to have to give birth in a stable and lay your baby in a feeding trough. There will be no respectability for you, Joseph. There will be no peaceful life. They're going to try to come and kill him, Joseph, and you're going to live like a stranger in Egypt. So much for settling in in your hometown. And Mary, this baby is the son of God clothed in mortal flesh. The little hand that won't be able to reach up to touch the animals belongs to the maker of the heavens. He's come to set his people free from sin, and it is wonderful and beautiful, but Mary and Joseph, no one's going to see or know it. And when they finally begin to realize who he is and why he's here, they're going to hate him. And then they're going to kill him. He will be put to death by the hands he made to do his work. He is the king of glory, but he's going to be hailed first by lowly shepherds. He'll be spat upon and mocked by the mouths he made for his praise. And he's doing this so he can declare once and for all, peace on earth 
and goodwill toward men. The angels, when they sang that, were right. Jesus came to bring peace on earth. Peace among men with whom God is well pleased. But it's not a peace that has to do with the circumstances of our lives. It wasn't a peace that had to do with the circumstances of Mary and Joseph's life. It's a peace that transcends the circumstances of our lives. It's a peace that comes from God. It is, in fact, peace with God. Do you know the peace of God? It is the only way to deal with the realities of this life. The the realities that we seek to escape from and that we work to cover up and bury and wrap up in, in Christmas presents and tie up with sentimental bows and drown in whiskey and eggnog. The realities of sin, death, and sorrow. And yet, the good news of Christmas is that in Christ Jesus, our sins can be forgiven through his death on the cross. And through his death on the cross, death dies. And in Christ, sorrow remains, but only for a time. Only for a time. There is hope. There is joy. And it is found in Jesus. Goodwill toward men who see and hate their sin and repent of it. Who see the humility and grace and glory of their Savior. There's only one way to approach Christmas, and it's not as a perfectionist trying to get everything right. It's not trying to cover everything up and pretend that everything's okay. It's as a sinner who knows they need a Savior. If you can approach Christmas as a sinner who knows he needs a Savior, you're going to find hope and peace, the hope and the peace that you so desperately need. And you won't waste too much time fretting over whether or not you finally got the stockings done or whether or not there were enough truffles or whether or not you burned the cookies. But if you'd approach this Christmas trying to maintain control, trying to have a tight grasp over everything, trying to maintain the illusion of perfection, I hate to remind you, but you're going to fail. It's not going to work out the way you want it to. So don't do that. Rejoice. Rest in Jesus amidst whatever circumstances you're facing. First, rest in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. But then whatever else God brings to you, death, burn cookies, rest in Jesus. Find your peace in him. Let me close with this passage from Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you.
Amen? Let's pray.